that'll do. Uh, what's up, nerds? Welcome back to yet another episode of Region Free. We're experiencing targeted systematic lag on our end. Joe Biden and the United States government's trying to shut down our recording of this podcast, but I think uh, I think we're going to make it through. Uh, I'm AJ, as always, joined, as always, by Blake Hester on the other side of the line. What's up? Personally, I think that stinky old man has worse issues this week than worried about what we're doing. What's up with that? Okay, like, here's the thing, AJ. <laughs> Let's kick it to political yes, one this is... AJ Moser for a okay. I feel like, I, as an American citizen, I shouldn't be stoked about these classified documents they're finding I, yeah. in and around this man's house. I'm, But I feel like the answer I'm not receiving is the level in which I should not be stoked. It should it is it like a thing where I'm like ah it's kind of a bummer you probably shouldn't have done that or is it a thing where it's like hey he kind of like had some pretty gnarly shit he should not have had in his home and as a citizen I should I almost kind of made a whitest kids you know joke yeah if you know the one, if you know the one. Um, <laughs> here's what I'm gonna say here's my take that I've been stewing on for a while and I only feel comfortable saying okay. it uh here because <laughs> at the time of recording literally no one has listened to this podcast so it's the smallest platform mm. possible that i have to say this on um <laughs> it's always cool to steal from your job so joe biden i think is a king for taking all those classified <laughs> documents just like okay bring shit like if it was if if it, if I got a New York Times breaking news notification that was like um, Joe Biden was taking Babel cheese wheels from the White House fridge, they were discovered <laughs> at home, just a stockpile. He wasn't even eating them; like they were expiring. He was just yeah, sitting yeah. there and be like, "It's within his right." You know, he's a by that logic, then Donald Trump he stole all kinds of classified documents. Oh yeah, right? well, what are you going to tell me? Donald Trump did something wrong as president of the United States? That'd be no, news to I'll, my fucking no, ears. I'm- no, no, I'm saying by your logic, then you got to give it up for the man Donnie T for that one. Yeah, no, I wasn't being ironic. I was saying I would be shocked to learn that Donald Trump did something wrong as president of the United States. Does That doesn't sound like it to me. Can I admit to a crime on the air? I think so. Like I said, no one's heard this podcast yet. So my first job was at Landed Tomorrow in Louisville, Kentucky. It was a contemporary art gallery. Um, first job, first and only job I ever got fired for, but not for the reason mm. I'm about to tell you. Um, I I used to steal from that job all the time because it was an art gallery, so they would have shows and they would have just like obscene amounts of alcohol for the show. But the show only lasted a day, and then they just had all this alcohol in the back, and uh, that kept me and my buddies when we were like 18 or 19 liquored up for a long I time. It. Like I would walk out of there with like bottles, like it, I had to have like lifted hundreds and hundreds of dollars of alcohol from this place in like the span of a couple short months which might explain why seven years later i went to rehab at 24 but nonetheless yeah you know what's a crazy concept kind of just a wild thing what uh art galleries in general how do they like yeah big buildings lots of uh you know Mm -hmm. space lots of fancy stuff hanging in there they're closed mm. most of the time they're open for like an hour in the afternoon once a week I, I think i think i can answer this question okay at least for the successful ones i remember the first show we had at landed tomorrow show opened you know of course like you have the business hours when people come through but the real event is the you know six hour show of an exhibit right. opening and i remember one of the pieces in there first day was bought by uh i think it was the speed art museum in louisville or one of one of the 
bigger art galleries bought one of the pieces for 50 grand so that's a lot of change i assume more i assume more sales happened but that was the one i heard about is the kid who was stealing alcohol from the back mm-hmm. and working the front desk yeah. so we that's the kind of money being thrown around yeah. in these places you know we had a really good transition uh Kind of, we were we were easing our way into one like two and a half minutes ago, and then I just had to ask a stupid question about art galleries. Mm. So let's pretend uh, that we were still talking about crimes, criminal things. Uh, let's oh, just rewind sure. there, and I could say, hey, speaking of crimes, uh, today we're talking about a 2004 Hong Kong crime drama called Triad Colon Underworld on this episode of Region speaking Free, of- where we talk about movies and not presidents of the United States art galleries and admit to crimes that we committed right. in the past right um yeah let's let's talk about this movie aj what's up with this one yeah a, a very interesting off the radar film that in style and <laughs> excess maybe has less going on than just what it represents and a really cool little flick i think i think the only thing that excites me about this movie is hearing you talk about why you chose it. I've been very interested. I didn't like this movie at all. Yeah, um, look, it's like, it's a brain bender a little bit in as far as nothing really happens in it. Um, it yeah, but like not in a good way, you know. Well, like there's a lot of movies where nothing happens, but it's in a good way. My favorite movie is a movie where nothing happens, yeah. you know. This movie is just incomprehensible. Nothing uh, happens. This movie has several titles it goes by. Triad Underworld is sort of, mm-hmm. I think, the, the reigning one. In the original Cantonese, it's uh, called Jiang Hu, which is sort of broadly referring to uh, the wuxia world concept. You know, a lot of, of Chinese action films, the classical setup there, that sort of uh, mm. j- just gestures broadly at this this metaphor uh, meaning rivers and lakes, just sort of representing the genre as a whole. And so that title kind of places it within this like larger epic scope for what is such a scaled down and intimate kind of crime story. I'm trying to think of like a good mm-hmm. comparison to make to the English and, and coming up a little bit short. Um, but there's a lot of like specific cultural context to this movie that I find pretty fascinating uh, as well oh, as okay. with a lot of the key players involved um, some of the actors the producers like there is a lot of thematic crossover with some of the biggest names out of Chinese cinema which is something I've sure. been very interested in lately uh, so a lot of shared actors from some of the earliest Wong Kar Wai films um, mm-hmm. this movie was released on a weird like Blu-ray trilogy with some of the early Johnny Toe films, who is another kind of totemic figure uh, in this early Hong Kong crime filmmaking. Um, and uh, like Wong Cheng Po, who's the director, has made some other stuff, but nothing kind of wildly successful. And so this was one of the more accessible films in his filmography. And at the start of this new year, I just decided I was going to watch uh, as many Hong Kong action movies as I could. So I watched a lot of Chow Yun-Fat movies, a lot of John Woo movies. I'm ju- I've just been voraciously devouring as much as I can get my hands on. And so this one came across my radar and I was like, what the hell? I'll give it a shot. Uh, and yeah, I mean, I was kind of baffled watching it the entire time. But basically, I really liked the ending. Crystallized 
everything that I had just watched, not in a way that it made more sense, ending, but I was like, I see what they're going for. Yeah. Um, the ending's and it just good. Like, the ending's good. Ha- yeah, it hasn't really left my, my mind since, so I wanted to, to unpack and scrape at that a little bit. The ending is good. I liked it quite a bit. Um, I don't know why it took me that long to realize okay. what was happening, because it does that was gonna be my it a little earlier. Yeah. But yeah, I didn't realize it until literally it was unavoidable. Like, even when I was watching the younger character get his hand smashed in, uh, mm-hmm. it didn't dawn on me that I was watching a flashback. Um, to, exactly. to explain it for the listeners, there are basically two concurrent stories happening at the same time. And for a large part of the movie, you are led to believe they're happening at the same time and will run into each other at the end when one character comes to perhaps kill another. And what you find out is actually the two main, there are basically two main characters in both timelines you're watching. And rather than being at the same time, you learn that they're the actually the same people in the past and in the present. Yeah. You're, you're, the way you watch the film, you're led to believe it's a story about four people. And then at the end of the movie, or whenever you realize it, it's sort of been a story about these two guys the whole time. And and here's the thing. Dudes dudes rock. There's a lot of dudes rocking in this they movie. Do. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, it's, it's, it's of a time, you know, in in this sort of early Hong Kong filmmaking where a lot of the stories they're telling are about listless youth sort of without a purpose drifting through the streets uh forlorn in their romantic desires trying to avoid spiraling down into a world of organized crime these are these are things you'll see in a bunch of of films in this genre and that's all those those hallmarks are all represented here but i think what you know what sets this movie apart in a little bit. Um, I really like, like the, you know, four central performances in this movie. I think we're all really great. Um, a couple of guys, people would recognize Andy Lau, Jackie Chung, Sean Yu, Edison Chen have all gone on to have really prolific careers. They're all very mm-hmm. young and they're looking great in this movie. They're all little babies, but they're all kind of having a great time. I uh I'm not super familiar with um with Hong Kong movies aside from like the category 3 movies I've watched which mm-hmm. this kind of comes out after the the explosion of Cat 3 stuff but like Untold Story, Ebola Syndrome, Men Behind the Sun, of course. Um so I I was a little blind in terms of like the maybe historical context I should be noting while watching this. Can you break it down a yeah, little more for um, me? Or is it really just like a bunch of famous people when they're young? It's it's basically that, but I mean, shares cast members with, like I mentioned, some early Wong Kar Wai films, uh, mm-hmm. Days of Being Wild, As Tears Go By, um, mm-hmm. the Internal Affairs trilogy. Uh, like, you know, some of the main characters in those movies are all here as well. Mm-hmm. And then, I mean, one of the guys shows up in The Dark Knight as... Remember that part in The Dark Knight where they weirdly go to China for, like, 20 minutes? Batman, like, dives off of the skyscraper and it's very cool. But it's, like, a weird I... bit that's just sort of shoved <sighs> in The Dark Knight in the middle there. I don't remember. I I definitely have not seen that movie in 
10 or 12 years. Yeah, so... If not more. When did that fucker come out? 2008. 15 years ago. That was probably, the last, that was probably the last time I saw it, yeah. Baby movie, boy. You remember, when he, you remember when he puts the pencil in the guy's forehead? That's good shit. Who does that? Batman does that? Joker. Oh, the Joker. Hardly know her. Yeah, I hardly know yeah, her. I hardly know her. Play, it's, played by Heath Ledger. I hardly know her. Yeah, it's Edison Chen who plays Turbo, one of the young mm. guys in this movie, is in The Dark okay. Knight. Uh, I could pull it up on Letterboxd. It's a character that's that's credited as like uh, LSIVP. So I think he's just in one of those scenes where he's like, hey, we got to stop this Joker, you know? I think he might be one of the guys I, I that has... I hardly know her. Yeah, one of the cool lines in, in the scene with Bruce Wayne, but I don't remember. It's been a while since I watched The Dark Knight, too. I hate Christopher Nolan. I don't want, I don't like his movies. That's not true. You know what movie I'm really excited about? Maybe we should do a special for? Oppenheimer. O- Oppenheimer. Okay, so what's the deal with the nuke in that movie? Uh, they, they, I don't mean Christopher narratively. Nolan, yeah, no, he he built an active nuke and he used it to kill hundreds of thousands of people just to make Oppenheimer is what film okay, Twitter would have you believe. Okay, but there's all these stories. There's all these stories going around where it's like Christopher Nolan being like, yeah, we, we, we built a fake nuke. And I'm like, you got to tell me what that means beyond we did it. Like, just show me the behind the scenes footage of the explosion so I can understand what you all did. Okay, as I understand it, and here's the metaphor I'm going to choose to go with. We'll see how, how well this works. Okay. Uh, do you know what a vasectomy is? Yeah. Yeah. So do you know what the phrase like shooting blanks would mean? Yeah. They basically built a nuke that shoots blanks. So like it does the explosion, but doesn't have any of the harmful side effects. You know what I mean? So they for this movie they did because like nuke the explosions on that scale the 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 fucking mushroom cloud is like miles tall. I think it, right? I think this it was like a baby. We don't. It was a small guy. Okay. 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 Yeah. Because uh, I'm like literally imagining now it's like there's no way he could produce even if it's not nuclear fission an explosion on that scale because what we don't often realize is how big those damn mushroom clouds are. I wasn't and, there. Come on. I wouldn't know. Well, that's the problem. They, they yeah. I'm watching. I'm going on YouTube. All these shitty YouTube channels that are like, you know, Netflix behind the scenes, and I don't know where they get this footage from. This behind the scenes shit they show, but like, none of them are actually showing the damn explosion, and that's what I'm curious about. I think now I got to go see a fucking four hour Christopher Nolan movie yeah. just to have some goddamn idea. Well, you know, I don't know if they're actually going to get to the point of dropping the nuke in that movie. It's about doing the tests that got there. So they're smaller on that scale. Who knows if if that actually happens? Maybe it's like an alternate history thing where they realize at the end, they're like, this would actually be the coolest possible outcome for Oppenheimer. Okay. It okay. it pulls a once upon a time in Hollywood and you get to the you've watched three hours and 50 minutes of the movie. And then at the end, they're like, mm-hmm. This is evil. Like, we should not do this. Let's not drop the bomb on Hiroshima. Right. And then he's like, yeah, let's not do that. And then Christopher Nolan just, is like... Just Hiroshima, though. They still do it on Nagasaki? They still do it on Nagasaki, unfortunately. They were like, yeah, 50%. The budget, like, we just can't cut the rest <laughs> of that. That wouldn't be cool, is what I'm saying. Um, no. I also think... So, anyway, try it Underworld. Yeah. I just want to be on the record, too, that I think we're, like, less than a year away from, from Mr. Beast, like, just nuking a a small like buying an island and then being like i bought this island then i nuked it 
Um, I think we're less than a year away from seeing a nuclear bomb. <laughs> Jesus. To be quite honest, it's it's uh it's a new existential crisis I'm facing every day. Yeah, a lot along of along with turning oh. thirty in a year. Yeah, there's a lot going on in the world right now. Like Triad Underworld. S- speaking of a lot going on in the world, the a lot going on in the so, Triad okay. Underworld. Let's. I mean, let's I set don't it mean up. This, uh, top top level. I, AJ, AJ, I don't mean this in a reductive way. This is a genuine question. You like this movie? Yes, and here's why. Okay. Okay. 85 minutes long. Very tight. That's, yes. Yeah. Very tight, like, genre constricted storytelling. Um, Mm. It's, I say generic, I mean it as a compliment. It's playing Mm. the hits. It's doing, you know, Mean Streets. Scorsese based, Mm -hmm. like, guys getting in over their heads in crime. He didn't invent it. It's just sort of like, you've seen a movie like this, I guarantee it. Um, I like the performances. I think there are enough memorable sequences stacked into this little 85-minute movie that I had a good time watching it twice. Um, yeah, It's not perfect. I just think sure. cool little movie uh, that represented a, a fun little discovery, which is what we're trying to do on this pod here. I guess my issue with it is, like, I also like a movie going through the motions, especially just, like, a popcorn crime thing. You know, like I recently watched uh, Takeshi Kitano's Outrage, mm. which is like a pretty shitty movie by his standards, but like is just enough of the cookie cutter formula that I'm like, yeah, I'll stick around. I might watch its sequel. Uh, th- my issue with this one was like it never seemed to be going anywhere. And even worse is it never seemed to be making any sense, which might be a problem of whoever did Tubi subtitles, (laughs) to be fair. But I found the the dialogue extremely hard to follow, almost like a lot of it was in like dream logic, where it's like, I know these words, but the construction of them does not make sense. Yeah, I mean, I think going back to like our very first conversation, and I did want to ask, I got the answer already, but I did kind of want to make sure that we talked a little bit about when, you know the movie's trick was revealed or sort of played on you because it is like, I think part of that is intentional. It sort of obfuscates Mm -hmm. the storyline in such a degree that, you know, you're, you're roped along for, you know, an hour and close to an hour and a half. And then at the end, it's just a nice little rug pull um, where you think about the whole thing a little bit differently. Basically what the setup here is, is, we are introduced up top to a very sort of successful mob boss, uh, Mr. Hung, and his, like, you know, left-hand man, Mr. Lefty. They're you calling the me that... Mr. Hung. Are they calling you Mr. Lefty, or is it Mr. Righty? Well, it's more like Mr. Center these days. Oh, okay, at this point, yeah. <laughs> Depending uh, on the weather. <laughs> yeah, for, for backstory on that one, go listen to Game Query episode 45. <laughs> No, Can you no, imagine no. if I had it that was, one pulled up? It was way, it was way earlier than that. It was like Game yeah. Query, like eight. Oh I, wow, we were in I it. Got it popped out. Basically, you know everything you need to know about these guys just from looking at them. They're two dudes who have been through it and they've risen up through the ranks of mm-hmm. this crime family, which is not an easy thing to do. They've had to sacrifice a lot. They've had to. They've been on their hustle grind set. They've done crimes together. They've <laughs> killed people together. They've seen it all. They've done it all. Um, and kind of in the first scene or two. We learned that 
uh, Hung's wife has just given birth to a baby boy, and that's, that's right. basically his excuse to say, like, I'm I'm whatever the opposite of Breaking Bad is. I'm Breaking Good. I'm leaving this life of crime behind me. I want out. He's getting Which right is, with you know, God. He's getting right with God. He's getting right with God. He's like, I'm a father. I'm out. And, you know, as two people who have seen a lot of crime movies, we know that it's very easy to leave a life of crime behind. When you say I'm out, everyone's like, cool, understandable. We got you. Famously, no. Martin Scorsese's had a 60-year career about yeah. guys who had no problem doing that. Uh, just kidding. That was a lie. <laughs> He's like, or Lefty is like, people are going to want to kill you, my man. Like, you cannot get out of this that easily and that's sort of the tension of that storyline we then cut to and i think maybe (laughs) what's problematic about the storytelling in this movie is that it judiciously just cuts back and forth between these two (laughs) plot lines and you know are seemingly unrelated and not intersecting whatsoever but we meet these two kids who are called yik and turbo who at the end of the film will be revealed to be younger versions of hung and lefty but the the you know, the assuming viewer does not know that at first. And their sort of setup is they're trying to make their names in the crime world, get inducted into mob life. And their storyline basically follows this dark night of the soul moral crisis they're going through where it's like, look, are we going to like fucking nut up or shut up, do some crimes and kill some people and really make our names for it? Um, yeah. The dramatic irony being, of course, being that, yeah, they really do get into it. But uh we sort of follow their story through their first, you know, descent into the world of crime and are simultaneously following the end of their story uh, the, 10, without 20 knowing years it. in the future. Yeah. Without knowing without it. Without knowing yeah. it. And you know that that setup is good and cool. And I think the issue is like the movie never seems to know what story it needs to be focusing on in order to like i'm not saying it needs to be more explicit throughout the film that i'm watching two parallel timelines you know what i'm saying like that's Mm -hmm. fine but i think in its disparate parts whether it's the the past storyline or the present storyline it's never seems to know where it needs to give attention to be a compelling narrative you know there's this whole side plot with the sex worker and um the the young, what's the younger guy's name not left not turbo yik yeah he has like a budding relationship with the sex worker but she's also like kind of just cast aside for half the film then brought back at the very end for this like weak resolution or yeah. you'll spend a little too much time in this scene not enough time building out this part of the timeline where it just all becomes kind of like this jumbled mess and when the movie is also like forcing you to wait for the action, which is fine. I, I I think it needs to deliver more on that story rather than just kind of plod along in kind of this meandering way. Yeah, it's very, like, episodic almost mm. in that it just, like, cuts between... It's, it's sort of primary motivation at all times is, like, delivering an interesting kind of scene or a cool little conceit. There are some fun moments with, like, yeah... A, a confrontation at a dinner table that happens two or three times. Um, and then this really cool almost, but then like ruined raid sequence at the house where they're sort of yeah. doing the first celebration for his son. And it's like, uh Oh, these assassins are kind of closing in. And then he diffuses it by talking them all down. Like just, just like interesting little spins on some of these genre convictions. Um, I think 
you know, my read on this movie is that the stuff with the kids is probably way more compelling and interesting. Sure. Um, you realize at the end, I think my note was that that's like probably by design because it, it, you know, it ends up being a pretty focused, narrow character study on these two guys. Um, so as you're learning to like appreciate these kids or understand where their heads are at, you sort of are then you don't realize it maybe, but when the movie ends again, you're like, okay, I see where they got kind of the whole story's I, laid out there. I think um, there's some really cool setups to scenes that I like kind of separated from everything else. Like there's a scene where a uh, turbo and get go by uh, or not, they try to go buy a gun and yes. kind of have to brute force their way into it. And there's a, there's kind of a weird gap in logic and how they actually work their way into this kind of underground gun selling facility i don't really well, know yeah. what to call it they also have a very funny interaction with a cop up top i mean this is like this <laughs> yeah. is one of the best stretches of the movie basically is where yeah they need to go get a gun um and this again thematic thing for some of these early hong kong action movies guns uh hard to have not yeah. allowed no good very bad right. um so they're they're basically just milling about the streets they get pulled up on by a cop who really just does some classic cop shit to them. He's like, oh, he, what are you doing down here? The guy's like, I got to take a piss. And he's like, okay, go take a piss. I want to watch. Um, <laughs> I like when the cop starts wiping his wet hands on their faces. I was his, like, that's yeah. funny. That's a funny <laughs> thing to do. He like pushes him up against the wall and the guy's like, hey, you know, be nice to me. Don't hit me. And the cop just starts smashing yeah. him on the head. It's like, I'll, I'll do whatever I want. Yeah. Uh, real, real bastard cop in there's, this movie. There's a, yeah. And then, but the, the they go to get the gun, and the guy there's like, they go under Yik's mom, who I think is a working for like the U.S. embassy. She has like a yeah. badge that says U.S. on her shoulder, and she's like, but she's clearly like a dirty, she's corrupt. Um, and she's like, hey, go here, tell them I sent you. And the guy, when they do that, he's like, no, she's nothing to no one, and he like kicks her out, and then like. Five minutes later, just Turbo comes back by himself, and he's like, don't worry, bro, it's just me. And the guy's like, I ah, should have said so. Come in. And I don't know. It's a little weird gap in logic, but it's a fun scene where they tie him up. And Yeah. Uh, the other scene I really liked is in the back half an hour of this movie where uh, uh, Lefty and and his bro just have a my, nice little my dinner with Andre <laughs> for the rest yeah. of the movie. It's a cool moment where you just watch this dinner play out over the course of the film. And it's like, that's cool. I'm into this. Not I mean, into they... it overall because I didn't like the movie, <laughs> but I like the setup of it. They do have – I feel like the, the the tense relationship between those two is pretty interesting just yeah. because you get – even just through their conversations, you feel the betrayal from Lefty who's kind of like, look, dude, my life is basically – protecting you serving you whatever you yeah. want to call it he's like we really had to uh go through the shit to get where we're at where we're at right now and i appreciate that you know you have a family you want to raise your kid but he's like we're in it <laughs> brother yeah nut up or shut up nut up or shut up can't get out um, yeah what'd you think about the action in this movie and how it's used uh i didn't think it was very good i expected I, you, this movie opens hinting that it might be a real flashy flick and yeah. ultimately maybe save for the last three minutes the action is pretty bad and ha they will like together like 
they'll it's cut rough. away from most of the like main action sequences when they yeah. when they confront that cop we talked about earlier they do a pretty funny little cut where the cop is like roughing them up one of them's like you're gonna get it mister and then they sort of do a dissolve into they beat the cop up and they stole yeah. his gun uh yeah if- the opening credits are really cool and it kind of has that Again, I don't know how to describe it, but if you've watched a movie from 2004 before, you know the sort of like instrumental grunge rock DVD <laughs> menu music that would play yeah. over some of these opening credits. Yeah. And I do think there's some some interesting camera work, at mm-hmm. least in like the transitions and sort of those introductory stuff. The The first sequence in the movie, I think, is, is the kids kind of walking through a kitchen, right? Yeah. And they're like trying it's... to catch up with one of the mob bosses. Mm-hmm. Um and it's doing a bunch of really just like, yeah, flashy Paul W.S. Anderson Resident Evil shit where they're like, look, it's the early 2000s. We used to not be able to like, you know, put a camera up here or down on the floor and do these sweeping movements. But we can now. Uh, we've got these things called handheld cameras. Have you ever heard of them? <laughs> We're going to use them the entire movie. Except for the action scenes where yeah. we turn the cameras off. Get over it. Yeah, it... um. I do like the opening. It's very flashy looking. I like that kitchen scene. There's a moment a camera starts to pan up and then for reasons not entirely clear to me, it just stops midway through the pan and goes back down. It's like it's going to pan up to another floor and then it immediately comes back down. I'm like, I don't know why I did that, but it was fun. It was fun to look at. And it's yeah. the little things right now keeping me going. <laughs> I think there's always something, at least in the moment, that I'm like, look... I'll watch that. I'm interested right. in what's going on here, even if some of it doesn't connect and make as much sense. Right. Um, I also think the sort of fight sequence in the rain at the end was really cool. Oh, yeah. That's very good. That's very good. Um, it feels like that's where all the action budget went. Exactly. right there. Because there's like actual choreography. Things are slowed down. There seems to be a lot of thought put into where action needs to happen and when we need to be on which character where a lot of the other action scenes are just like, how do we gloss over this while still giving the viewer enough info to know what happened? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, Another thing I wanted to call out pretty much everyone in every scene of this movie has either a cool costume or a cool haircut or both. And I mean, cool in a way that's like, some of those decisions were really quite striking and startling. I'm like, the early 2000s have called. We've got some spiky hair. We've got mm-hmm. some weird leather trench coats. I I definitely dug all of that. Look, here's the thing. Uh, Wu, Wu Chin Lin, please text me, ma'am. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, we should probably talk about that storyline a little bit. It is very like, I sort of got that they were just going for this teenage ennui that oh oh well well who i was bringing up plays the wife of the adult yik but yeah yeah sure she looks great too look they could all can text me everyone in the film (laughs) look and and the thing is they're all or at least the main guys they're all still looking good these days Uh, that's true these actors age gracefully i gotta say it whatever uh whatever super drug they're on i need need to get me some of that (laughs) super drug um yeah the cast looks great my god (laughs) <laughs> sorry for derailing what were you saying um no i was just gonna dig into the bit that you mentioned earlier where yeah they have a very kind of like terse confrontation with uh 
mm. um, some girls who are sex workers. And, like, you sort of feel bad for the kids because they're just, like, acting out of despair. But it really is, like, it's some... Um, it's not the uh, smartest writing in the world. He's just kind of like, does. I'm really, I'm really sad and edgy, and I want to have sex with the prostitute to make me feel better. There's also a really weird moment where she's like, like they go to a hotel room together, and like this is not the first movie to do this, but uh, every movie that does this is you can write this one down. Tell him I said this dumb, where. She's like, all right, we're here. Let's do it. And then he's like, no, I'm going to rape you instead. And so he, like, initiates a real rapey moment, which is yeah. kind of weird because it's like, bro, like, like, she, y'all were good. at You get what I'm saying. And I think and he's, like, then, he's like, yeah, oh, I paid for the hotel room. And she's like, okay, and you paid so we can, like, do it now. Yeah. And he's like, just kidding. And yeah, he, like, slaps her around a little bit and starts uh-huh. forcing himself upon her, at which point she's like, okay, not into this anymore. But then he kisses her and she's like... And now I'm in love with you. And it's like, what are we doing yeah. here? It's what a, are we doing? Like, just a weird sort of convention where, yeah, the, like, he takes away affection and then is like, just kidding. And then it's it's all okay. Well, um, he it seems to say, like, he, he wants her to not consent. Yeah. And then in, he's like, in okay, order you passed to, the test. Yeah, he wants her to not consent in order to, like, convince her to consent again. It's very strange. And then and then there's that scene later where uh, she has another client over and he comes in and he's like, be gone. Get out of here, you. Uh, kind of a funny moment. The politics of it are really bad. But yeah. the guy's like, you know, totally within his rights. And he's got his pants around his ankles and they literally kick him out of the room. And he's like, oh, but I already paid. Yeah. It's goofy, like, goofy moment. Here, you know, maybe not the most politically sound writing in the world, but what can you do? Yeah, well, speaking of uh, the most not politically sound writing in the world, do you want to talk about the scene where the guy's almost made to fuck a dog on the street? AJ, I almost turned the movie off and called you and ended our friendship when that moment... <laughs> it gets really close. Like, look, it was it's, it's dramatically tense, maybe in a way that's exploitative and cheap, but I was like, look, been a long time since I saw a movie that almost went there. Well, you know, actually, the movie Dead or Alive, which this movie kind of reminds me of, yeah. does have a bestiality scene in it that I would argue is way worse. Um, yeah, wasn't ready for it. I also decided to eat my dinner during the last 20 minutes of this movie. So I was sitting there eating, like, you know, a nice little pita. I had some hummus. I had a little kale salad and chickpeas. Oh. I was like, this is good stuff. This is a good combo of flavors. That's a pregnant dog. And a man is about to have sex with that dog. And I'm watching yeah. it on Tubi, where there are no rules. Let me tell you, there are no laws on that Tubi's platform wild of what world. you can show. So I was like, uh, fuck, here we go. Luckily, it did not happen, though. Thank God. But it got you on edge, and I think that's the point. It was definitely the most memorable scene in the movie. That's one that's going to haunt me, for sure. I don't know if it's it, the most it memorable definitely scene. It elicited the strongest reaction out of me, which like I would take as usually a hallmark of great art. In this yeah. case, it just means I'll remember one scene from this Effective otherwise movie art. I did not like very much. Yeah, I mean, the thing that I just keep coming back to mm-hmm. is the structure and the construction of the whole sure. thing. I think it's such an obvious twist that ends up really working quite well. And yeah. I think there's something to be said for that. Um, it's definitely, I don't want to call it like an experimental film, mm-hmm. but I always think it's fun to see something 
a movement or, you know, something stylistically in its early stages. And this is definitely, you know, it feels like a rough draft for a lot of really great movies that sure. will come later. Um, I think it's fascinating to watch that stuff play out. Yeah, I think the twist is really smart and really cool. And, like, what was, if not wholly, like, revolutionary or whatever, like, it's at least non-conventional. Like, it paid off, and I thought that was good. I just wish the rest of the movie was as interesting to me or as smart as what I thought that twist was. Because by the end of the movie, when I learned the twist, there was not really any redeeming triad underworld for me. You know what I'm saying? Hmm. Um, I don't know. Maybe it would be it would have been cool to see this director. I don't know. Maybe they did um, retry this twist in a different movie. I'm honestly wholly unfamiliar with the guy who made this movie. Yeah. So he let me pull up um, some other movies he's made. Uh, Once upon a time in Shanghai, which I've not seen, um, but that and Revenge, a love story, are mm. kind of the bigger movies that he's gone on to do. But like. Running, you know, it's a pretty small cast, pretty small crew, pretty small budget, and almost everyone involved with this movie in one way or another, like, went on to have a bit more of a prolific career. If, That's cool. If Wang Ching Poo is, like, on the lower end of that. But, yeah, I just found that really kind of a fun little thing to, to go back and dip my toes into. And, you know, sometimes you watch a movie that, you know, as you kind of said, is, like, truly irredeemable. But I thought this was a fascinating little curio, and there was definitely you know, an interesting amount to talk about. Can I add a weird aside that uh, you got to promise to cut out? Yeah, go for it. It's just a weird thing that just happened that just completely derailed my night. Probably. Um, I was looking at revenge, a love story. Um, and one of the top actresses in that is Sora Aoi. Who's okay. a Japanese model actress and crucially porn star and i only recognize that name because i remember when my dad worked at kinko's and i was like seven years old and i wanted to look at pictures of sora from kingdom hearts on google images sora aoi no 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 (laughs) so Uh, i saw that and it really just threw me back in time like 20 years i'm gonna say two things i'm gonna say that her most popular film on letterboxd is a motion picture called big tits zombie Mm mm-hmm and the second thing I'm going to say is I'm leaving all this in. Absolutely not cutting it out. Well, that's fine. <laughs> it's honestly <laughs> a pretty innocent story. But yeah, I've, uh, I've, I've, I've never forgotten that. And it was pretty interesting to see her pop up just right now as a connection that, to Triad Underworld. That feels like a Rosetta Stone moment for Blake yeah. Hester. That's a real yeah. sort of like um, paths converged there at, at the Kinkos Googling Sora. <laughs> that's right. Shouts out to the Hurstborn kinkos in little kentucky i think it's don't, still there it's a fedex office now though don't dox your dad okay he doesn't work there anymore that was 70 years ago 70 years ago he works at whole foods now yeah shout out to whole foods jeff bezos no i wish we were talking about kinkos job. and fedex and this is again another really quick aside i went to an office max recently to buy stamps actually back up i was trying to buy stamps do you know okay. how hard it is to buy stamps i went to like UPS. No. I went to the post office. They were like, "No, you can't fucking buy stamps here." Really, you can't. You could buy stamps at the post office. Not, not this post office that I went to. Well, you know, kind this, of they were just like post office. You coming to? It was just like a desk in a parking lot, and they were like, "No, uh. we just take packages and ship them out." Weird experience. Uh, stamps are fucking expensive. Don't do that. Yeah. Get it together, Joe Biden, the main it's... bad guy of this episode. Stinky old man. 
stinky old man. You one time tweeted that at Joe Biden, and I still think it's one of the funniest things I've read on that fucking site. I think about it all the time. Anyway. I wish I knew what it was about. Um, Look, yeah. You brought him up earlier. I think very similar to some early Mike movies going on in this one as well. So stuff that you and I have talked about before. Mm -hmm. Uh, But, like, yeah, Dead or Alive, Shinjuku Triad Society, those are all, you know, seek them out. If you haven't seen them, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. They're probably e- they're easy to find. Oh, it's, uh, I'm trying to think. The a movie this kept reminding me of was Outrage by Takeshi Katano. Just in terms of being like a good enough little crime flick, you know, that's easy to watch. And I think if you're into that, which like that is like. I had a knock it by any means. I love to throw on some like mindless Yakuza or mafia crime movies and just like kind of let them wash over me. Uh, Outrage is a great, great one for that. Um, it's got awesome, just a awesome fucking cast. Every dude you've ever liked from <laughs> like the Japanese film industry is in that movie. And uh, yeah, that's it. That's my, that's my main recommendation. Watch Outrage. Not not that good, but good enough for sure. Hell yeah. Um, I double featured this one with Ringo Lamb's City on Fire, mm. which is a movie that Tarantino is very on the record of doing big air quotes here, uh, was an inspiration for Reservoir Dogs. Yeah. Uh, but you watch that movie, one of Chow Yun-Fat's earliest movies, and mm. a lot of ideas and scenes sort of ripped wholesale from that thing in some of the yeah. early Tarantino crime dramas. You um, know what? Uh, another one to recommend, and I mean, this is not an underseen movie by any means, but like this movie's clearly kind of pulling a lot from like fallen angels depiction yeah. of like crime and gun violence. Oh, totally. Like, like, so I think fallen angels would be a very interesting double feature. Maybe watch Triad underworld first. Cause I don't know if you want to, Oh, this one's always, well, yeah. It's either first or it's like second if it's late at night and you're trying yeah. to, you know, Fall, really sort asleep. of zone out to a yeah. movie. Uh, I, I, there are definitely parts in the beginning that like remind me a lot of Fallen Angels. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and if you want really great action, again, any of the John Woo movies, you can get your hands on them. Uh, so like A Better Tomorrow, The Killer. If you haven't seen those, those are those are goaded. Those and- are incredible. Again, and the John Wick movies. John Wick. <laughs> uh, I I made. Tell me what you think about this one. Okay. I turned my January into John Wooary because I watched every John Woo movie That's this cool. month. You ever, yeah. Have you played Stranglehold? I've never heard of Stranglehold. That's his like. That's his video game. This is news to me. Hold on, dude. Yeah, no, it stars the dude that's in like um. Who his like main actor that's in Boiling Point? It stars him. Yeah, Chow Yun Fat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's Stranglehold, third person by Midway, and then it's like John Woo Stranglehold, and it stars Chow Yun Fat. That's crazy. And the what game is on? supposed to be like nuts. PS two, PS three, three sixty era. Mm. Yeah, check that check that game out. It's wild. I really want this. Play. Is a, this is a crazy image. Uh, some of the gameplay I'm looking at here. Yeah. I can get it on GOG.com for two forty nine right now. Oh, my God, dude. Do it. Let's play it. Yeah, my, 
my plans for the rest of the night are fucking set. What's next episode, AJ? Actually, where can people watch this? Where did you watch this? I watched it on Tubi, and I'm not sure I recommend watching it that way. But shouts out to Tubi. Honestly, one of the most uh, underrated streamer, streamers. We there. love Tubi. I watched Canopy, uh, okay. which is through through the local library. I think similar back end to Tubi. The quality may be a little bit better. I don't know about the subtitle translations. Um, I also mm. did find a DVD copy of this movie that I watched, too. Okay. Gotcha. Good print. Good print on that old DVD. I fucking love, like, again, as I've been digging deeper into, you know, sort of off-the-radar cult stuff for uh. this podcast and just for my general interests, I love the DVD, man. I talked about Dude. it on the last episode, too, but I was like, they keep upgrading movies to 4K. Why don't they start downgrading some of them? Oh, yeah, dude. I, You know, I, in my in my journeys around at home and abroad, I've definitely ended up with some DVDs that probably were not released legitimately. And there's a certain charm to buying yeah. something. And there's, like, things misspelled on the box. And you put it in, and it's like, this is clearly just a rip from a 240p video file. <laughs> I don't know how this got out there in the world. Like, it's are awesome. You, are, you, are you familiar with the, the Dragon Dynasty uh, label? Which Dragon was the thing. Dynasty. Yeah, it was, um, like, not all of it overseen by but kind of like started up again by tarantino and it was his way basically like i think this is around the time he's doing kill bill or sort of like mm. you know he's basically at his peak late 90s popularity and right. he uses all of his clout to bring like a lot of the john woo movies were distributed in the u.s on the dragon dynasty imprint like there's cool really cool like dvd boxes and i think a couple of them made their way to blu-ray but they're all like really out of circulation and out of print now. Um, I found a cool letterbox list that was like every movie that ever made it to Dragon Dynasty. And that's sort of in that digging, I think, is how I ended up making my way to this movie. It was not part of that, but like mm-hmm. just doing you ever do that the game where you just start clicking on oh, yeah. stuff on letterbox of like, yeah, OK, this movie directed this guy starred in it. What else was he in? Go to his profile. Just keep scrolling down. Like, yeah, you ever you'll ever lose a good night of sleep uh, down the letterbox hole. All the time, brother. What are we watching? That's what I recommend. What are we watching next week? Uh, Next week on the fucking schedule, a little motion picture here I'm seeing called uh, Ricky O, the story of Ricky. Really? Yeah. Oh, shit. We talked about Hong Kong Category 3 films at the beginning of this episode. We're about to watch one of the landmark Category 3s. We're going to have a fun time next week. One of the the goated-ist movies. I... uh, you know, I've talked about the the lovely Alamo Draft House on this podcast before. I forget what I was seeing there, but they showed the trailer for Riccio before a movie I went to see there once, and I was just like, "Should I get up and leave now and just go home and watch Riccio? Because there's no <laughs> way after seeing this trailer that the movie I'm gonna see is better than that." But yeah, it's gonna be a trip. Uh, and if anyone wants to watch it with us, you you can. It's pretty accessible on Blu Ray now, but it's also. There you go on Tubi, which is free. You don't even have to put yeah. your email in Tubi. So <laughs> the whole the whole thing was on YouTube not too long ago as well. Um, Man, a crazy good Blu-ray though. I have that box. Set, I, right? Yeah, I don't have that unfortunately. This oh, okay. is gonna. Be, I'll, I've I'll dig not, through those specky feats. Oh please do. Yeah, I haven't seen this in. It's got to be like ten years. We're gonna have a great time. Time. God, man. Okay. And so are the listeners who we love. Thanks for sticking through it that's right thanks for doing the emotional labor of listening to our podcast (laughs) the emotional labor that's right bye Uh, well yeah we'll see you next week